For my 10th episode today, we have a special episode of sorts. Today, I'm joined by my first in-house guest, Mike Fallick. Uh, Mike is also a podcaster. He has a podcast called Let's Start a Cult, and he's also a filmmaker. So, Mike, I'll have you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, I'm Mike. I run Let's Start a Cult podcast. I love this subject matter here because this is these things are how... Uh, uh, this is how it starts in a way, you know, you don't realize mm-hmm. our show is like the minority of, of, of group think, you know, but it is the same techniques that get people to do Charlie Manson type stuff and, and to, to go totally off the rails. Um, you know, small minor group thinks is what our show is about. You know, should there be women urinals? That's my big uh, okay. project right now. All right. And, and my answer is yes, but I will let you decide. Okay. Um, So today we're going to be talking about a figure in history that I was not familiar with, but Mike hit me to, who was arguably the first notorious child predator. We're going to talk about Gilles de Ray, who fought alongside Joan of Arc. And in fact, he did more than fight alongside her. He actually saved her life on more than one occasion. So, so far he sounds like a hero, but well, The thing is, it's believed that Gilles de Ray may have been responsible for the grisly murders of more than 300 children. And although according to one of the articles that Mike sent to me, only 34 of these murders can be directly linked to him. And I have to be honest, when Mike first pitched this idea to me, I didn't know that there would be enough parallels between Gilles de Ray and the abducted child case that we're following, being that this case happened in the 15th century and the other, which we are following, started in 1982. Surprisingly to me, as I did my reading, I found that there are certain parallels that are actually uncanny. So as we talk today, my hope is that we can explore the psyche of these predators. What makes a person of such power and such nobility feel so entitled to so brutally victimize and derail the lives of innocent children? Mike Fallick and I will be talking about that today. This is episode 10 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. Let's start with the history of who was Gilles de Ray. And I'm going to read from an article Mike sent me that comes from a collection of articles called The Wickedest Woman in the World and Other Stories of Sexual Perversion. It was written in 1990 by Alexander Barron. Gilles de Ray was born in 1404, the son of Guy de Laval, one of the richest men in France. Both of his parents died in 1415, and it is possible that this may have had some influence on his development, which twisted his mind in later life. But up until the age of 28, he apparently showed no signs of depravity. Indeed, if he had died young, he would have gone down in history as one of France's greatest heroes, for he fought alongside Joan of Arc and played a significant role in defeating the English at the Siege of Orleans. In 1429, Baron de Rays was tall, handsome, and fabulously wealthy. Both a Latin scholar and a connoisseur of the arts, 
He was at the court of the castle of Shannon when Joan entered, and it was chosen to lead the army which accompanied her. Whatever else she may have been, Joan was no military commander. On the afternoon of May 4th, 1429, she besieged the English fortifications at St. Loup. When she was nearly surrounded, Derez came to her rescue, put the English to flight, and together they took St. Loup, the first victory of the campaign. From then on, he supported her. Two days later, acting against advice, she crossed the Loire to attack the English. Outnumbered, she was bailed out by Derez for the second time. The following day, Joan was wounded by an arrow as she was trying to scale the walls of the fortress. Derez saved her as she fell off the ladder. They took the fortress and in retreat, most of the English forces were drowned when the French fired a narrow bridge that they were crossing. On Sunday, May 8th, the French and English forces came face to face, but for some reason, the English turned and fled. Derez was promoted to Marshal of France, and with his help, Joan decisively defeated the English at Pate, killing 25,000 of them. On July 17th, the Dauphin was crowned King of France, and Derez's promotion was confirmed. And I'm just going to move ahead a little bit. And I do like how this next paragraph, how the, the author worded this. He goes, at the siege of Paris, he saved Joan's bacon yet again when she was wounded. <laughs> so, so you get the idea. He, was, he fought alongside Joan of Arc, and he saved her a number of times. But the story does take a dark turn after that. Because I'm going to read what this says here. It says, At the siege of Paris, he saved Joan's bacon yet again when she was wounded. Up until now, the story of the dashing Baron de Rays and the virginal maid of Orleans has all the ingredients of a medieval romance. It could quite properly be turned into a Hollywood epic with de Rays taking her in his arms, swearing his undying love, and the two of them living happily ever after. But there was to be no romance between Joan and de Rays. Joan's tale has a sad ending. She was burned as a witch by the English in 1431. After his grandfather died in 1432, Gilles, already rich beyond the dreams of avarice, became even richer. Yet somehow, over the next few years, he managed to squander almost his entire fortune, which included many castles in the Loire Valley. His huge entourage, including a personal bodyguards of 30 knights, was paid handsomely. Beggars flocked to his door, and he was ripped off by the staff and merchants, and then he turned to murder. He began his orgy of bloodlust in that same year, 1430. And until 1439, he killed for pleasure. But then he fell under the influence of Francois Perlati, a corrupt... Sounds good to me. (laughs) We we should warn, we both... I only know how to pronounce Gilles de Ray because someone told it to me. So we're going to try our best on French stuff. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm probably going to butcher a lot of these names if I haven't already. But not as bad as Gilles had butchered things. So you're good. It's comparative by nature. You're going to butcher less French things than Gilles did. So I think we're... Yeah, exactly. A corrupt priest and quickly becoming immersed in alchemy and devil worship. His murders became ritualized and that's sounding familiar in our storyline as this is something I've already brought up with my past episodes. Gilles had no difficulty in finding his victims. In Bluebeard, The Life and Crimes of Gilles de Ray, Leonard Wolf writes, if Gilles' victims were not given to him or sold by their parents to be pages, he could get them from an endless source closer to hand. There were always beggar children who came daily to cluster before the gates of his castles for the alms he dispensed so liberal at hand. 
Exactly how many children Gilles murdered has never been established, but it may have been over 300, although only 34 murders could be charged directly against him. 40 bodies alone were recovered from the castle, and the grisliness of DeRay's crimes is illustrated by the following confession made by his servant and his accomplice, Etienne Corolot. And it says, in order to practice his debauches with said children... Can I read it like, can I read it like a villain? Very villainous. Uh, or a little bit higher for a villain. In order to practice his debauches with said children, boys and girls, against the use of nature, first, with licentious passion, take his rod in his left or right hand, rub it so it became erect and sticking out, then place it between the thighs of the legs of the said boys or girls, not bothering with the natural female receptacle, rubbing his said rod or virile member on the body of said boys and girls with much gratification, hate, and libidinous excitement until he emitted his sperm on their stomachs. And after having an orgasm on the stomach of said children, holding their legs between his, he had considerable pleasure in watching the heads of the children separated from the body. Sometimes he made an incision behind the neck to make them die slowly, at which he became greatly excited. And while they were bleeding to death, he would sometimes masturbate on them until they were dead. And sometimes he did this after they had died while their bodies were still warm. And to stifle the cries of the children when he wished to have relations with them, he would first put a rope around their neck and hang them up three feet off the floor in a corner of the room. And just before they were dead, he would cause them to be taken down, telling them they would not utter a word and then he would excite his member, holding it in his hand and afterwards having an emission on their stomach. When he had done this, he had their throats cut and their heads separated from their bodies. Sometimes he would ask, when they were dead, which of these children had the most beautiful head? Gilles got away with his crimes until 1440, but with so many children being procured by his agents, kidnapped off the streets, or entering his service never to return, it was inevitable that rumors would spread. This may not have been enough to bring about his downfall, but by this time he was so desperate for money that he repossessed a fortress that he had sold, and in doing so, incurred the wrath of the church. So that's a part of the article that Mike had sent to me on about the history Gilles of Gilles de Rey. I had first heard of de Rey as sort of this discussing like, you know, pacifism, and, and, and somebody had brought to me the idea that like, well, it was, it was harder to get in the army, and the idea of whether, whether you know, there's this myth out there. The first killing myth that I don't really like is all, at all is people goes, well, when there was swords, there was there was honor. But but of course there wasn't. You know, if mm -hmm. you were to fight a knight, for example, you would be in leather armor. Uh, you know, and he would come on his metal horse, effectively, with a giant like well-made sword and like a, like a tank, run through the ranks, and that's what they would do. So it was not with honor. You would get trampled by a horse or or you know beaten up, and so. We, there was this discussion of pacifism, and someone said to me, well, not everybody is Gilles de Ray. And I, and I said, what do you mean not everybody's Gilles de Ray? And so, because uh, I had this theory that maybe people were joining wars and getting this bloodlust out when it was just so easy to join the army back then and, and doing mm -hmm. all these things. And, and this person who was very knowledgeable about military history then told me the tale of Gilles de Ray and how, you know, you can't compare even bloodlust to that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's two totally separate things. Yeah, and I think that that's um, something that I've been following a lot in this podcast, too, is that it's it seems to be really the people 
in power, that people with not just power, people with endless amounts of money, that it sort of, it almost makes them feel like they have an entitlement or something that they can, that they can just pluck a kid off the streets or that they can, um, that they have the right but well, being being called the marshal of war of France or whatever, you know, like that, that that can kind of go to someone's head. And of course, Jones Jones journey itself. And this this is kind of why the how I first heard of Gilles de Ray was that war has calmed down considerably since then. And those egos have have really gone away. And so Joan was on a righteous quest. And she, you know, some people believe she had divine, you know, providence. And, and now she's being defeated so unceremoniously by her hero, who, by the way, how I don't know how old Joan was when Gilles met her, but mm-hmm. there's that aspect to this too, that the young woman hero and, and Gilles de Ray. Uh-huh. But at the same time, we're forgetting that marriage age was, was different and all those different things. It's, it's so, even this guy who is so empowered by this weird, I mean, the Joan of Arc War is, the, is, is weird, her story is weird no matter what war you compare it to. It, yeah. So it, it, it's, you know, that might have contributed to it. I know that there's sort of tick marks with, with, with serial killers and, and, and sex offenders. Obviously, problems with your parents is a, is, a, is a big one. Something as traumatic as losing them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Caligula was the, the same thing. Orphan, orphan child with a lot of power. Um, mm-hmm. They don't all turn out to be Batman, unfortunately. Exactly. Almost no orphan kids with a lot of yeah. power who witness grisly murders end up being Batman. And I think, too, that um, it's definitely it stems from a cycle of abuse because, I mean, usually any perpetrator of a crime like this, you can trace it back to their own childhood, some sort of trauma that happened in their own life, you know, and the, the cycle keeps going. And that's something that I've talked about a lot, too, is that it's a cycle that keeps going. It's somebody who was abused in childhood, somebody who had some sort of traumatic event happened in childhood they grow up to become the perpetrator and then that's how it just keeps going on for literally centuries i mean you know we're reading about a case that happened uh in the 1400s so it's as long as as long as you know civilization has existed there's been abusers and there's been people with this sort of mentality yeah um i think the thing that i wanted to tell you about is, is when we started this was like people always say it's worse than ever now and i was like if you don't know about really? Gilles de Ray, yeah. it is much better than it has ever been in the society of the world. It, it, you know, um, and, and and to the point of the cycle of abuse, uh, you know, cycles of abuse don't. And again, I'm not a psychologist, but cycles of abuse don't necessarily even have to start with one generation to the other, where it's extreme. You know, could Gilles de Ray's servants say, "I think you're sick in the head" after the first time he killed someone? No, because Gilles kills tons of people. I'm sure there was other times where. He rightfully killed someone because he had the right to do it. Some spy came in and he and he killed them. You know, even if he, he that was his job, and they they couldn't expect to say those things. And that happens in real life too, in, in micro mm-hmm. levels. That's what I'm always concerned with. You know, is does your is your friend showing signs of depression? It's not a funny joke. Tell them to go see a therapist. It's like these cycles of things can happen real quick too. It doesn't even have to be. You know, my dad did this when I was younger, and I'm doing this to my son, and things like that. It's it's mm-hmm. it can be minor it's that you know this this person treats me crappily and then that person treats me crappily and i noticed something too when i first read this article and i mentioned it too when i read it just now is that it's ritualistic abuse and it said in there a little bit that he started to get involved with uh with alchemy and devil worship devil worship and 
Let's see what exactly it says. Um, if I can you wouldn't find have, it. You wouldn't have known Satanism because Satanism didn't exist yet. Right. Yeah. It says he quickly became immersed in alchemy and devil worship, and then his murders became ritualized. The, the way that this article sort of lays it out is that, you know, he was this hero who fought alongside Joan of Arc and saved Joan of Arc's life a number of times. The way that this article sort of puts it out there is that, you know, Joan was burned at the stake in 1431, and it was almost that as sort of being the catalyst that led to this dark side to him. You know, who's to say? I mean, we could... We could hypothesize on that like all day yeah. if that was a catalyst to it but it's just it's so crazy to me that this would be that this would come up again like it comes up in these the articles that i read and the you know the clips from the documentaries that i play that have taken place in the 1980s and the 1990s and here we've got something that is very similar this happened in the 15th century and we're talking again about somebody who is becoming involved in devil worship and these ritualistic, very, very stylized sort of murders. And, you know, there's a very, to me, a very noticeable parallel between the snuff films that I've talked about and the sort of action that takes place in them. And, you know, the kind of thing that Gilles de Ray did, hanging these children three feet above the air and slitting their throats and pulling them back you know it's a very noticeable pattern mm -hmm. to me yeah none of these things are new everybody thinks horror everybody thinks killing is new it's not new it's been around since the beginning of, of, of time and you know people get away with it more and the fact is is that we now have so many things in place that can help someone i mean i honestly believe someone like gilles de Ray probably is harder to happen nowadays because these people in positions of power like that you know are the ones who are getting the most psychological help. We now, mm -hmm. you know, we now are, are treating these people much more than than Gilles de Ray would have never even known about treating his his mind that way. But also, like Joan of Arc accused of being a witch, he kind of believed in being a witch. You know, he was the real witch of Joan of Arc. He mm -hmm. he was trying to do this devil worship thing. And you know, there's always reinvigoration too. And I'm not an expert on this stuff, but like back then, the church was everything. The church had a lot of power, and so like. To do this, he probably thought he, he maybe he could gain more power, you know, than, mm -hmm. than by usurping the church. Nowadays, the church has a different implication. So these things get reinvigorated too throughout the way that like we view religion, because in, in the end, none of none of the people that do things in the, the the case of ritual or religion and things like that ever get a, a payoff, you know, witch or wizard wise. They never ever say, and now I've created the alchemist's stone using this, you know, ritual. So. And no one's encouraging them to, to do so, really. So it's like, this is a, a way your mind interprets, uh, you know, sickness. Like, for example, I have I have OCD. This is just to frame this as things. And my OCD somewhat comes from a weird logical place where sometimes if I touch something or we didn't shake hands, like that, that, that mm -hmm. bugs me a little. Now, in reality, you could say, oh, you know, there's people that I meet and they go, no, yeah, yeah, shaking hands is, is you know, you shouldn't shake hands. There's so many germs. I go, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm have a sickness. Shaking hands is fine. Yes, there are germs on those surfaces, but they're not going to hurt you. Right. So that's where these fake manifestations of like, what is the church? The church is power. Someone, someone who has even a minor problem like OCD, you, your mental illness is able to tweak that into a logic thing. And mm -hmm. so over the years, these reasons that 
you know, people with severe mental illness list as why they're doing it can change. They can come back in a different form. Why someone today might kill for religious reasons are different than Gilles Ray. Someone who's probably killing today for religious reasons would not be having sex with them. They yeah. would say that the sex was apparent, I mean, abhorrent, and like, he should never have, have done any sex to them. It's to save their souls or whatever. So it's all plug and play. You know, it could be frisbees. Yeah. The thing that I see in this too is that I think with anyone who is doing these kinds of things, there's definitely, as you were talking about, they, they rationalize it. Mm. Um, like I was just talking about a few episodes back, I was talking about NAMBLA. And that's very much sort of something that they do. They rationalize it. They, they advocate that it's okay for a grown man to have um, a sexual relationship with a young child. And their way of rationalizing it is that, like, we're the victims, that what they are doing is not abusive to the child. And they actually, and, and it's not just, you know, just bullshit either. Like they actually believe that in their head, they've rationalized it to the point that they truly believe that they are the persecuted ones, mm. that they are not causing abuse. They are not disrupting the lives of these young people. They are, that they are facilitating healthy relationships between adults and and children. Yeah. I, I, to list another, I'm, I'm fine. You know, mental mental illness and things like that are not so scary. So I'm fine to list mine, you know, as, as an example of it. Um, you know, if I don't admit that cleaning my hands a huge amount per day, if I don't go to someone and say, is that normal? Well, then, the, you know, even doctors won't use the word normal. They'll say, well, it's not helpful to your life. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get any enjoyment out of it. So there's clearly something in you that is doing this out of a reaction. And, and you can look at those things. So if you just are allowed to join a group like that, which is very harmful to, this is going back to my show, which is groupthink, which is that being a group of people telling you you're right actually doesn't always mean you're right. It only can heighten a wrong fact. That's how mm-hmm. we get hysterical sicknesses is that everybody's saying, no, 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 you are, I see it. Your eyes are green. All of anyone with green eyes, you know, they they have this, they're all getting, it. you know, like they, they can, your eyes are blue. Don't worry. I can see yours. But I mean, as an example, yeah. you know, the more people telling you you're right about a wrong fact, the more that you'll, you'll kind of accept it. And so it, it goes to that, that same thing is that the people around them are saying like, you're, you're right, and and you're this is this is the the correct fact, and so that sickness just keeps growing. They don't do it. An example from a few years ago was the other way, where people were accepting of an odd sexual thing because, oh my God, in this modern world, there's so many more people that are open to different sexualities. Object love. There was this thing, this woman who loves the Eiffel Tower. There were all these movies and documentaries and stories about all these different people that were in love with stuff. Well, as it turns out, and this was less publicized. They did a study and they said 100% a symptom of Asperger's. Uh, the only, when I say 100%, they actually managed to track down everyone who claimed this sexuality of mm-hmm. object love, you know, loving a bridge, loving a wall. And uh, every single one they tested, every single one they got to survey, they said, yeah, no, you are on the autistic spectrum. You, sh- you know, between Asperger's and diseases that, pretend, that present autistic symptoms, they were saying like, yeah, the, you, you, you definitely have this problem. Now, were they hurting anyone? No. Right. But, and so the society said, no, this is fine. But also, um, in the end, no, there was a, a sign of something else that could be treated to make their lives better. So it doesn't always have to be, sometimes my, my fascination is always with the middle ground. It's never with Gilles de Ray. Guys like Gilles de Ray, it's, it's, it might as well be the devil. It's, you know, right. it's so confusing. For me, it's the middle ground. It goes, object love is not necessarily horrible, but it is a sign of some other mental thing. And thank goodness that it's not 
that it's not an indication of a really you know horrible mental illness like something that drives you to kill someone or, or hurt yourself mm-hmm. but it was a thing that made these lives better that being able to track this down treating any mental illness even if it's something minor like OCD or Asperger's or ADHD your life gets better and so there's these 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 circles of accepting are can always be harmful if we don't like examine them I think one thing that can add to it too is that like I started to mention before like with Gilles de Ray he was um you know a military hero very noble well-respected individual you know fought alongside Joan of Arc and I think that the people who are the perpetrators in the case that I'm following um military people Mm -hmm. or people with um you know, these business people with a lot of money who can afford to, you know, hire someone to pluck a kid off the streets. High society, very well-respected sort of individuals. And it's sort of like it plays into their ego of their, that they're untouchable and that like the, the rules don't apply to them. And that because they have people around them all the time, people they meet in society or just, you know, in day-to-day life who cater to their ego and treat them with a great deal of respect. And it sort of, it becomes so impossible to think of them as somebody who could do something so, so heinous. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of, it feeds into the ego and sort of adds to their own rationale that they are that that they are not guilty of anything yeah i I would i would just to add to this too which would do disservice to the person that told me about this is you know military men good military men actually don't believe they have a lot of power they are following a chain of command and they are they're 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 willing to do those things and and i don't want to make this a class thing either where it's like being rich there's a lot of rich people out there who are not going to do this obviously the ability to get a sense of normalism is easier for them but i think that if if from the cult people and the, and the serial kill you know i'm sort of fascinated with the the 60s and the hippie era and things yeah. like that with when it comes to these cults it's it, it is about power it is mm-hmm. about living in a world in which you have power some of these cults that lived on Haight ashbury street and some of these people that springed out of the hippie movement had no money that's what makes uh, Charlie Manson so fascinating is he was the hippie serial killer you know mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's it's not necessarily money and it's not necessarily respect but as this keeps going it de- that definitely does build the ego and so for someone like this if they if they fall into what is a uh, has to be considered a mental illness you know uh, it, it, then it's easy to send to that what you're talking about that sense of like Oh yeah, no, this is great. I'm still, I'm, I'm a great person. I'm still in power. When of course they don't realize this is a risk towards power in, in, in that case of it. You know, yeah. children murders, they're feeling power from it. I would guess in a lot of ways, but I don't know if whether I, cause I've been in business situations and where I feel like, oh, everyone's louding me. And I never said like, I bet I could get away with a murder right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think like we, I think there's something sick in there. I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's somebody who definitely um, has a sickness to begin with, has a mental yeah. illness to begin with. Like, you know, certainly nobody is suggesting that, you know, having power or having money or having any of these things <laughs> would make you that kind of person because that's certainly not the case. We've all met people with money and we've all met people with power who are not like this. I think it starts with the sickness, whether that stems from whether they were abused as a child or something happened to them, something extremely traumatic happened to them as a child. And it manifested in a way that, and it's like they say too, with sexual predators, rape is not about sex. 
rape is about power mm-hmm. and it's about like having having power over the victim like making them feel belittled and making them feel like like nothing like that is what a rapist gets off on so it sort of it 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 manifests it starts with that that illness which has already been sparked and it and it gets bigger over time you sent me another article uh it's from the times dispatch from richmond virginia and it's dated sunday june 8th 1913 and it's it says up top here Bluebeard as a vivisectionist, and it talks about um, Gilles de Ray and how he was the inspiration for the story of Bluebeard. That's very interesting to me because that's something I see a lot too, is that over time, these stories, and I even see it now with the, a case that happened in the 1980s, after when a, when a story has existed for long enough, it turns into folklore almost, mm-hmm. and it becomes rather than seeing it for what it is, which is a very grisly murder, or in my case, a very sad, tragic, and a very heinous crime that happened, it sort of, it, it sort of just becomes part of just the normal life and just part of like normal conversation. So what do you think about that, that it sort of over time goes from being this grisly unsolved murder or this grisly unsolved crime to pop culture sort of yeah. sort of stories. Well, that's that was the second time I heard of Gilles de Ray was he is a character in uh, the Fate Stay Night series, which is a, an anime series. Um, and uh, yeah, you, 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 you see it all over. I mean, Attila the Hun is a character in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Now, if you've ever read about Attila the Hun, it's not a very fun thing. You know, Dracula and Vlad the Impaler, these, these, these are the things we hang on to. I mean, there's two ways. The, the one way that I think people really look at it is you have to you have to laugh or else you'll cry mm-hmm. is, is, is one way to see it, which is that, you know, uh, you know, humanity, it goes on and things like that. And, uh, you're not, you're not bringing these people from, you know, hundreds of years back, but it is amazing how something from 30 years back in the eighties yeah. that that is already, I mean, it's amazing how quick people, people are to do that once it's distanced from themselves, which quite frankly is like a thing that I've had on, on social media, which is like respect for, uh, death. And there doesn't seem to be any. And one thing that I've actually bothered people about is when they post photos when someone dies who's famous in the media. And I've confronted people on it. I've been like, you know, this is a real person. There's a sense of respect for the family. And I bring that up because in the case I'm following, which is the Johnny Gosh case, last year at the Iowa State Fair, they put up um, Johnny's wagon on display. Um, for mm-hmm. like as an exhibit, like mm-hmm. his wagon that yeah. he was that he it's was a, dragging. It's, it's, I use this show in the most derogatory sense. It's a freak show when you do that. It becomes yeah. a. I'm using that word to to make fun of the fact that they would put you know people of different abilities and say pay a nickel to see them. Yeah. Like that's what that is. Yeah, that's like that. that actually happened. Like the the Iowa State Fair, I believe it was last September. Johnny Gosh's wagon, the wagon that he was dragging with newspapers in it when he was abducted off the street, was. An exhibit, and yeah. it was put on display, and it was on display with um, just other accoutrements from the time, like you know, buttons that said "Help find Johnny Gosh" and things like that. And I've I've talked to a few other people about this. Most people like are like, "Oh, that's kind of weird. That's like kind of exploitive." And yeah. well, there's another angle that it's a museum, it's history, and things. Yeah, like that. and that's the other. That's sort of the other idea too another connection that i found there's that angle of um 
the folklore aspect. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but what's so funny is that like not a lot of people know Gilles de Ray. Yeah. And, and, and that you'd think this would catch on as a folklore thing. And it's almost more upsetting that it hasn't caught on as either. That like, you know, Gilles, Gilles de Ray is this horrible, horrible killer. And this goes back to the things are, things are worse than ever people. They are often the same people who will post a eulogy for something, for a person they don't know. And they're not able to hear this is insensitive to, you know, the family that dies. Or they're often the ones that are sort of not understanding respecting death and things like that you know it's it's this it's the same family of like things are worse than ever well they're not because Gilles Ray happened in the past there's never I don't to my knowledge there has never even been a confirmed serial killer with as many accused numbers as Gilles Ray. do the, these facts don't occur to people that live off of folklore and things like that that they don't want to do the facting like when you do these stories and you dig into them I often say, well, I hope it's more boring. I hope that what I dig up on a story is as much more boring than the, than the thing that's printed, because mm-hmm. then at least I'll know I've 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 found the facts and I've and I've dug to the center of it. But it's very rarely that those people they don't want to believe the real version of it. They want to believe this mythos version of it. I'm really glad that you hit me to this story of Gilles de Ray because the number of parallels that I have. Red. Gilles de Ray, in my mind, is like the 15th century version of Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino, who I talk about in the past several episodes. Um, military guy, became involved in devil worship, became involved in ritualistic murders. And I see the parallels between this and the snuff films that I've talked about. The kind of activity that that has happened that he's guilty of and versus the activity that happens in these snuff films the rationalization that we talked about versus nowadays with the members of nambla we've come so far but in certain ways like the human mind the human psyche has has not changed at all in story writing and story following which is really what documentaries are you know you start to realize we've had the same bits in our bodies for, you know, it's the same mechanics in our bodies for, for a very long time now. You know, we haven't even gotten rid of the appendix yet. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we've had the same problems, basically war and famine and, and you know, hate and racial hate for a long time now. And so these stories start to repeat themselves. Not to say every story is the same, but they do start to be like, and I, I'm going to guess what happens next. And you start to become a little bit, when, when you start to really dig into these past things and not say, and not take that attitude of, you know, this thing is my, this is my thing. When you start to abandon mm-hmm. that, I sound very wise now. When you start to abandon that self in these stories, you start to just, you know, just call it. You just start to, you just start to say like, here's what's going to happen next. Here's, this is related to this guy. And, and that sounds exactly like him. Here's what's going to happen next. And, and you end up being right. You end up being right a lot of the times. It might not help. Being right doesn't always mean you have the solution. But yeah. I, I hate to sound like a, because history is taught so terribly in schools, but I hate to sound like a history teacher, but history does repeat itself. Exactly. They often teach the things that don't repeat themselves. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but uh, uh, it, it, it is, it, you, you start to be hip to these things. You start to realize like, hmm, that sounds like him. Yeah. It's like, I guess in a positive way, though, the things that have changed are our knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it's, it's past the point of it being something that we sweep under the rug anymore, that we just immediately see just a very well-respected member of society. And there used to be a time where we would never question them. But I think something 
as a society we've gotten a little better at is doing the opposite of that, is questioning these things. And maybe realizing that in order to find out the full story, we have to do our own digging. Like really take a second look at people sometimes and sort of be like, hmm. take a look. Yeah, take, take a, look. a look. Take a realistic Can look. Can I be yeah. a, an advocate of, of, of not just, don't you don't have to read books. I'm not going to sound like an English teacher and a history teacher. I see people, they'll tweet or repost a story and then I'll read it and I'll go, what you know, this thing and that thing. And they'll be like, oh, I didn't read the whole thing. I just saw the, the headline. It's like, just we're not even asking you to be like Sarah and go out and find and dig up stuff. We just read the first thing. That's the positive thing. I do think people do that more than they ever did back back then. Yeah. I mean, if you had been a person living at the time, uh, in the time of Gilles de Ray, if you had taken a look at him, seeing this, you know, this this hero who, you know, it was a baron, came from, you know, all this money, you wouldn't have never thought what he was doing behind closed doors. Yeah. Imagine the imagine the idea of being born into a, a that's what a baron is being born into the position of land belonging to you like by the divine providence of your bloodline land belongs to you not via a document that says so but or via somebody giving it to you but via the fact that like your blood is giving you that land like is a whole you would never question that that stuff but I bet there were people that questioned it and yeah. I bet there were people that couldn't question it yeah you know? and I think that that's the positive turn that we're sort of taking now. And I do think maybe there will be a solution to the Johnny Gosh case. See, I see, I see we're taking a turn, but we're going the other way. You see people now saying like, oh, I don't think they did that crime. They seem like a good person. I mean, that's a nonsense thing to yeah. say. Nobody and people can, have been saying that for years. People too, believe yeah. body language reading and people uh, b b believe, you know, all these, all these crazy pseudosciences that like say like, oh, I can see character witnesses. I mean, mm -hmm. what an, what an insane idea to do. You know, he was a good person. Of course he was. Yeah. That's why he didn't get caught. That's why he didn't murder before. You know, we're not, we're not suggesting that this person has constantly been a murderer. They did this one. It gets you in the club. It's a very, you know what I mean? It, exactly. That's all he needs to have done and so like there seems to be a misunderstanding of investigation now that it's that yeah. we, we can intuit what's wrong yeah. which i think is the other way we're going now especially when you're talking about people in high levels of authority or people in politics you know we have like our version and our minds of who these people are mm -hmm. and we don't want anything to to taint our ideas mm -hmm. of of who they are it's hard to think differently yeah, it's, it's hard to. I don't think people are afraid of the of the different. I think it's laziness. Okay, so we have talked about Gilles de Ray today, giving you the whole history, and we've sort of you know given our thoughts. Neither one of us is a psychologist or anything, but you know we definitely found some parallels between the case of Gilles de Ray, what he did to these children. And the case that I've been talking about with the Johnny Gosh case, but also the Franklin scandal. And there's a lot of parallels between the two. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind is that this is not something that is new. This has existed for many, many centuries, as long as civilization has existed. Thank you for joining us today for episode 10 of Faded Out. Mike Fallick has been with me today and it's been great talking with Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah. You can email me at fadedoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet me at Sarah E. Dimio. That's S-A-R-A-H-E-D-I-M-E-O. Um, Faded Out is on Facebook and you can find us on iTunes and on Spotify 
And if you'd like to leave us a review, that would be great. Mike, where can everybody find you? I'm Mike Valick. I don't do plugs on podcasts. But thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been episode 10 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.